Sir Belford and Tim Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio is a writer and editor for SB Nation site Bless You Boys. That is Detroit Tigers SB Nation site Bless You Boys. Additionally, she's a proprietor of her own site, 90 Feet From Home. And she was, uh, up till very recently, she was the August resident for Fangraphs.com. It's Ashley McLennan. Ashley McLennan is the guest on this edition of the program. She discusses how a Canadian youth... McLennan having been born, raised, and currently residing in Winnipeg, Manitoba, how a Canadian youth could become one who both lives and also dies with the Detroit Tigers of Detroit. We also learned about Sierra Dean. Sierra Dean is the pseudonym for Ashley McLennan, under which name McLennan has authored, I you not, roughly 15 urban fantasy novels, what she calls urban fantasy novels about Secret McQueen, for example, a young half-vampire, half-werewolf, who is also a bounty hunter. Is a series of books with beautiful, trashy covers, and we discuss all of them. One programming note, McLennan recorded her side of this program at a cabin in rural Manitoba. It's possible at some points to hear my voice echoed from her side of the recording, but I will remind you that McLennan recorded her side of this podcast from rural Manitoba, a fact which in itself is a testament to human ingenuity. All right, let's move on to the conversation. What is it? It is Fangraphs Audio. Who does it feature? August resident for Fangraphs.com, Ashley McLennan. And when does it begin? Right now. So, first of all, you do not need to be engaging immediately. Don't worry about that. (laughs) Secondly, secondly, we're two people who have never met and we're meeting for the first time. And so it's allowed to I always like to uh, let you know that it's allowed to be awkward in the way that it is sometimes when two people first meet. Okay, very good. I'm awkward generally. So it's it's good to have permission. (laughs) This is your bailiwick. (laughs) Um, um, Well, all right. So. This is not actually my original. Oh, yeah, and the other thing is, we might have a we we might have this echo of my voice. And um, but uh, uh, wabi sabi, I believe, is a term that people use uh, that pre- predominantly you know, Japanese people, I think, uh, to describe <laughs> um, ha- uh, that, that things are beautiful, um, not in spite of their imperfections, but because of them. Yes, where they fill the cracks with gold in order to amplify the imperfection. Oh, what's the, what is that tradition? That's a new one. It's a Japanese thing where they take, it's very similar idea in that, um, when a a vase or a cup is broken, Mm -hmm. um, they put the pieces back together, but rather than using glue to hide the cracks, they amplify them by lining them with gold. It's beautiful. Love it. Yeah. What a similar idea and also a Japanese tradition, which they got it all figured out. I cannot remember, but they have it all figured out. Is the point. Uh, allow me to state immediately. Uh, so you have probably gathered just from our uh, correspondence with each other that I am, that I am not a professional. <laughs> uh, that I'm, that I'm neither professional nor a professional nor uh, particularly qualified for my job. Uh, however, <laughs> I don't know. I particularly like the way you write emails. Is it work out okay? Was there, yeah. did you feel, did you feel seen as an author? Seen <laughs> I did. I liked it. You, okay, good. All right. Um, uh, so I was conducting the, the most uh, cursory sort of uh, due diligence uh, about uh, Ashley McLennan. And uh, Ashley McLennan is a person who interests me. Uh, it's possible that Sierra Dean interests me more? Oh, God, you've looked me up. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. It's not uh, like it's a secret. Like there was a CBC interview where they they kind of exposed the whole thing. And no, it was never really a secret. Like my yeah. Twitter accounts used to link back to each other. Yeah. Right. So it's not like a hidden fact. Uh, this my, is, one of my day jobs is a writer. Is uh, an uh, you are a writer of novels that have terrific covers and awesome oh titles. These are, this is fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> I'm really, I'm really into this. I mean, first of all, you're prolific is what something needs to know. Yeah, I think there's like 24 of them now. Oh my god, this is fantastic. I release about 5 a year. How Okay. So that is that's is a lot of writing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, they're usually about 70 to 80,000 words each, so I've definitely, you know, I think they say for writers once you've hit a million words, you've kind mm-hmm. of like leveled up to expert. So okay. I think I've gotten there. Is this like a Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours type thing? Yeah, something like that. I think they say once you've hit a million words for a writer, oh, you're these there. These are like so you've... beautiful. How do you know how to do this? How do I know how to write? Yeah, but no, but how do you know how to write this type of book? These, these oh, titles are like, amazing. It started... 
I mean, I guess for for people listening, we should tell them what kind of books. See, this they is the sort of exposition of which I am unqualified to provide, but which is um, second nature to um, to uh, CRD. I think <laughs> primarily I write urban fantasy, which is kind of like I say that the main series is like Buffy the Vampire Slayer meets True Blood. So they're kind of like vampires and werewolves in a modern setting, which seems so weird to talk about on a baseball podcast. Uh, no, this is uh, this is fantastic. This is so. Uh, great. But I also write contemporary romance, and they always like joke that you should write what you know. So I have a series of baseball romance novels. Yeah, so now no have, one will ever take me seriously I again. Should, I should say uh, one of your recent. I think one of your recent uh, novels, Pitch Perfect. Yeah, it's it's really it's one of the few instances of, uh, that I have witnessed of people getting to second base on the cover of a book, <laughs> <laughs> which which makes it doubly about baseball, I think. Yeah, that was the original cover. They've been redone since oh, I got okay. the rights back from my publisher, but they uh, yeah, that's, <laughs> they were a little very yeah, that is spicy. This is fantastic. I could part of the reason I'm if, if I could be honest with you, part of the reason why I'm happy here. Is because at certain points of my life, um, so my, my I do not come from a family of readers, right? Okay. And so, um, but I so I when a, a part of rejecting my family at a certain point at the time when people begin to reject their family was I became annoyingly literate. Do, do you see what I'm saying? Like, oh yeah, like, like just devouring everything you could get your hands on. Well, no, well, see, that's the thing. Not everything. It was only important authors is what I regarded as as being oh, essential. Oh, so you were super pretentious. Yeah, yeah, I was yes. I mean, and I and I I remain uh, abominable for many reasons. Although I think <laughs> more t- more tolerable for this particular one. And uh, yeah, so I was yes, I was pretentious, and I thought because I because I said well, I have, this has to be serious. Um, and so for for a very long time, um, I did not permit myself to read. Uh, well, what I would say, essentially, um, stories that were designed to please, please first, if, and if, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're thinking, you're you're trying to find a polite way to say brain candy. Yeah, sure, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah. but so, but then I somehow, but Agatha Christie was my, she was my gateway drug. Oh, my book club and I are doing Agatha Christie this year. Okay. Oh, you are. Oh, so and there's yeah, we've, do we pick ten different ones for the year? Yeah, right. I, I think she might she might be among the most prolific. She, I think, is the most um, the most bought author yes. in history. Yeah. Like, Did she pass the Bible? Is that possible? I think she's. I think it's the only thing that has more copies in circulation uh-huh. than Agatha Christie is the Bible. That's a little bit of a baller move. Is when yeah, you're competing with the like, Bible. It's over a billion copies yeah. of her books in thirty different languages yeah. or something. She's incredible. Now, first of all, with regard to Agatha Christie, are you? Are you going? Are you looking at all of her detectives? Are you sticking with we've, simply Poirot? We've primarily done a lot of Poirot oh. up till now, yeah. um, but this month, actually today, we switched to A Murder Is Announced, which is the is our first Miss Marple. Okay, you know, I've actually never, I've never gotten into Marple, uh, either either on the uh, the television or the book side. Are you a Are you a Marple fan? I, you know, this is it's our first one. I haven't actually started it. Today is the day, but I'm a big Poirot fan. Okay, so and so yes, and that's interesting. Now, have you ever seen? Are you familiar with Poirot as portrayed by David Suchet on yes. the BBC series? Yeah, they're, they're different Poirots. Now, my first, in my introduction to Poirot was the David Suchet character, and he is a little bit more char- charming and palatable, in my opinion, than than Christie's original Poirot, who could be a little bit of a dick sometimes. Oh, I kind of love that about him. That's though. fine. I I respect. I hey, allow me to see you as a person. <laughs> I like challenging characters. I think Poirot's a really interesting case. Yeah. Okay. Right. But you agree he is a little bit of a dick sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah. And he's vain. He's vain, and he's a dick. But he's yeah. But he's he's a lot of. He's fun. so proud of his mustaches. He is. Yes. And I love and I like the fact that he uses the plural, or yes. the Agatha Christie uses the plural to describe them. Um, now, okay, so, I can so particularly like I can imagine him saying "moustaches" because he's Belgian, right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, call, don't even don't even insinuate that he's French. He's Belgian. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is fantastic. Tell me, yeah, tell me how this started. The writing, yeah, yeah. The, these these. Um, well, I've been writing fiction. Like I started probably when I was ten or twelve, mm-hmm. writing books, like in, in air quotes, right? Because you're twelve years old, so anything longer than five thousand words seems insane, right? 
Um, and you were, but I've been plotting out stuff and it would always been my goal to be a published author. That was the big dream. Um, I think I finished my first book in my twenties at university, um, Mm -hmm. during my second degree. Um, when I should have been studying, I was writing books in class. So uh, I finished my first one and had a hell of a time getting it published, um, but eventually did to a, um, a small online um, publisher that did ebook primary and then uh, print later. Um, and they're now out of business, unfortunately. I got my rights back earlier this year because of that. Um, but with them, I published 13 books over over four years. Mm-hmm. And what was the what was the first one that uh, made it into print? Uh, my first book published was a book called Something Secret This Way Comes, which is about a half vampire, half werewolf bounty hunter. Oh, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and her name is Secret. All the books in that series have Secret in the title because her name is Secret McQueen. Her name is Secret McQueen. I see that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, um, there's something with it. Oh, yeah. Something Secret This Way Comes. That's book one. And there's a, is there a bit of a prequel? Is that right? Yeah, there was a prequel which was published later that same mm. year, um, which was called The Secret Guide to Dating Monsters, and there are eight books and two novellas in that series. Okay. Now, have you met have you met, have you met the young woman who um, who whose job it is to a model for for your for your oh the original covers? covers? No, okay. I didn't get to meet her. Okay. Um, I did get to chat with her at one point. Her name. Um, was Morgan mm-hmm. and Morgan Miller was her name. And I ended up actually naming a character in the books after her as a shout out because she was she was so great on those covers. Oh, okay, and I'm seeing now the second, the other model, and she's a little bit more. It's more of a badass situation going on here. Well, the first ones were, the first ones were the the really red covers. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, those are and the, first the new ones. covers are kind of the white color-based ones, and I have no idea who that model is. She's okay. just a lovely-looking shutter, Shutterstock model. She is. Yeah. That is, that, so is I, awesome I had to pick somebody that had a lot of stock available and kind of fit the image, mm-hmm. um, and she worked out perfectly. And her face is kind of doing a slightly different thing in every cover. Yeah. Well, the, the problem was I got those books back. I got the rights back, mm-hmm. and I couldn't use the old covers. Yeah. So I had to find a way to release an entire series in a month um, and as little money to me as possible. So we went with stock this time instead of a model. This is, this is, this is fantastic stuff. Okay. So in something secret, this way comes, this is, this is mm-hmm. the first one you had published. And you said you'd been writing for some time. It sounds like almost a decade you've been putting this together. Well, I, I, I fancied like you with literature mm-hmm. reading, I'd fancied myself more of a, a literary fiction writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but during my downtime from writing more serious books, I got a kick out of writing these, these urban fantasy adventure stories. And it just ended up being that that was the first book I published that I finished. So it was the first one that I sent out for publication. Mm-hmm. Um, now what, so what's the general plot of uh, something secret this week? If you can, rem- the general idea is that the main character secret has been working for the vampire tribunal in New York city. And her job is to go out and hunt down rogue vampires who have broken the laws of the vampire society. And she doesn't fit in because she's not fully a vampire, but they don't know she's also half werewolf. There is a full scientific explanation that I give later on in the books as to how she is both of those things. Yeah. Um, but she then finds herself in a situation where the king of the werewolves of the East Coast becomes very interested slash enamored with her, um, which leads to a lot of trouble in both sides of her life. Oh, do they um, do they have amorous relations? Oh, um, in that book, she and the king do not, okay. but she and somebody else do. Oh, okay. And is it a it's human? It's a very messy love life this girl gets is in it, these books. Is it, is it a human with whom she has relations? No, it's a werewolf. Oh, it's a in werewolf. human form. That's <laughs> not weird. Okay, all right. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I mean to... No, because so one of the things that it, it is you've already suggested to it. One of the things that I know that is important to this type of genre is that there are rules. Like it's it's not our world, obviously, but there are yeah rules. The world building was a huge part of it. Like you have to create rules and hierarchy with these societies. So I thought it was kind of interesting to take a more political approach to the vampires, but a more, um, like, oligarch rule to the uh, 
to the werewolf society. So there are four leaders in America. They've divided society into northeast, south, and west, and mm-hmm. each ruling family gets a section. So it's based on on lineage that way. If you if you were going to be one of the four sort of quadrants, where do you think you'd want to be? Sorry? If you were going to lead one of the werewolf quadrants, I mean, where would you want to live, do you think? Oh, I would probably pick the West Coast. I'm a California lover. Okay, yeah. All right. It sounds like that would be nice. Where, where's the dividing line out in the... You know, the... I never actually drew up a map. Mm-hmm. I just kind of picked where they were. their, like, headquarters were located. Okay. So, like, the King of the South lives in just outside of um, New Orleans and Louisiana, and the King of the East lives in New York, so they kind of each had their own. And we never actually met the the ones from the West and the the North in any of the books. They're just named. Where do you Where do you think the, the one in the West does live? If you had to, uh... Uh, I would probably say in San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. All right, that's interesting. A little less earthquakey. The the um, the uh, what's the Jennifer Lawrence the movies that were also the books? What is that one? The Hunger Games? Yeah, sure. Hunger Games. That's great. I fell in love with those movies for one main reason. And it's Which that, was? It's that, so I, so I could, all right, it's that the evil city, the capital city, yeah. is Denver. And, oh, I never um, even made that connection. Yeah, and so, I've, and so I, I started to sense. I said, this looks, I said, it kind of feels like Denver. And to me, um, that's that's spot on. To me, a place like Denver is probably the root of all evil. And the outlying area where uh, where Jennifer Lawrence's character is from is is like the well, of course she's sort of a more of a mining, but it's it's the Northeast. And so the Northeast is this sort of area that's been um, uh, relegated, and it, and it has to essentially attack and overwhelm uh, uh, Denver. Uh, and I said this is. Uh, I don't care what happens in the story per se. This is a, this is a sort of a metaphor with which I can live, and so that's why I took considerable interest in that. Um, all right, I, I probably will ask you more questions about writing these. That's um, <laughs> fine. Yeah, um, no, it's but 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 here's it's the just thing. Hilarious. You're to talk about that on a baseball podcast. Yeah, is it a baseball podcast? Here, I don't know. It's just a chat, it's an, right? It's a conversation between two people. Getting to know each other, and uh, and it's all part of the same thing for me. I mean, is baseball itself is baseball not a fiction, right? We create. Well, I mean, it's it's got plenty of narratives. It does, and just like the novels you're 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 talking, you're discussing when you're writing an urban fantasy novel, like you said, you have to build the world. Yeah. And uh, any sport, baseball certainly included, it is essentially the product of a world that has been built, which is this is the rules, right? Yeah. Um, every game can only be uh, games are bound literally on the playing field by by the rules that have been created for them, um, and they're sort of like the extent to which they can provide pleasure is in that same way bound by those rules. Um, so you have to start with the rule building first, and that's why probably the early stages of any sport are awkward because you find like, oh, here's this here's a, a, a an event that keeps occurring that's kind of embarrassing for the integrity of the game. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, I don't know if you ever watched MLS, but when MLS uh, first started, um, the I guess the creators of the league were worried about appealing to an American market. So they had a shootout at the end of every game. Oh, my God. Yeah, precisely. And that was the reaction that um, people – that anyone with good sense had. Yeah, really. That's terrible. Uh, right, because there were already enough people in the country who liked soccer and just wanted it to be here as opposed to, you know, across, you know, various oceans. Yeah, having to, like, wake up at 3 in the morning to watch it somewhere else. Exactly. And so the so they were like, no, just make it as much like the other soccer. They also, the clock uh, previously counted down. It was started at 45 at the beginning of the half, and it counted down to zero. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, it was weird. All right, so listen, you're a Canadian person. I am a Canadian person, yes. And how did that happen? Uh, well, I was born here. Okay, sure. Yeah, naturally, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but uh, where in Canada? And tell me about being a, a Canadian youth. Uh, <laughs> um, I am from, born and raised, and still live in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Um, in my youth, I had to learn how to kill polar bears in order to survive. Nah. No, it's not true. It, um, it was, it's pretty much the same, right? Like, I played, you know, Little League baseball when I was a kid, and I was terrible at Little League soccer. I once mm-hmm. scored a goal on an opposing net in a different game while playing okay. soccer as a kid. Oh, yeah. 
It's better than an own goal in some Yeah, I guess so, right? Yeah, it was like the yeah. older kids, too, and they're like, what is this child doing on our field? And I'm like, I just ran at the ball. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. Um, so needless to say, I was not very good at sports as a kid. Um, mm-hmm. But it gets, I mean, the only difference, I think, from anywhere else is that it's a, it is a lot colder here in Manitoba. I think we once, once the news loved to report that our temperature with the wind chill was as cold as the surface of Mars for several days in a row. Okay, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I tell it, people uh, it regularly hits minus 40 because it's the temperature that's the same in Celsius and Fahrenheit. Oh, right. So that's where they unif- that's where they unite. Yeah, so it makes sense across the board. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. Um, right, sure. So it's cold. I think that, uh, that, um, that's probably a question about which people ask. But I'm, what have, like, what is, what are Winnipeg's traditions? Like, what are the, like, if, if you identify as someone who's from Winnipeg, like what are, um, like what what are the sort of uh, mark like markings of a win- of a of a Winnipegger? Why do you say it? <laughs> yeah, Winnipegger is the right the vaguely name, dirty. Yeah. I don't know if, uh, but um, yeah, a Winnipegger. What, what what does it mean to be a Winnipegger? Um, to have mourned the loss of the Winnipeg Jets, but to gain gain them back. <laughs> that was a big part of our our identity. Mm-hmm. Um, was losing the team. Um, trying to find stuff to do in the winters. We're a big eating city too. We have, I think, more restaurants per capita than any city in either Canada or North America. Like we have so much food. And uh, is there any sort of cuisine that is particular to Winnipeg? No, it's it's worldwide. Like we have so much right now, actually, and it'll probably be after this airs uh, have ended. Um, we're doing this thing that we do every year called the Burger Week. Mm-hmm. Um, and so all these local restaurants, I think there's over 50 of them this year, um, do one week only insane burger specials and they all come up with like these crazy themes. I think one place teamed up with a local donut restaurant. So the buns are donuts. Um, oh boy, it's that sounds, yeah, that sounds, um, unhealthy. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. I've seen pictures of it and it makes my arteries hurt. Yeah. Um, so I won't be having that one, but there's some pretty incredible offerings that they come up with. So that's a big thing. La for Burger. La Burger Week. La Burger yeah. Week. Now that sounds <laughs> vaguely. We get a little French about it. Yes, that's what we're not a say. French. Yeah, you're city. not French. Although, uh, looking around, um, looking around Winnipeg, there are some French town names I see. Yeah, there is, there's a rather large French section of the city called Saint Boniface. Okay. Um, and so there are French speaking communities and French first schools and bilingual schools as well so we we do take the french part seriously it is technically a second official language for the country yeah so. right yeah and of course now, now my wife and i my wife is a francophile and um we've spent um in addition to spending some time in france what i've, I've actually preferred to, to uh, montreal which i think is a fantastic city Oh, the smoked meat. Uh, yes, I have not overlooked the smoked meat. That's a good point. Uh, uh, and I think it's just it's just a fantastic – now, have you spent any time in Montreal? No, I did. I went when I was a kid, but I can't say that I remember it all that well, okay. which I'm not is gonna... a shame because one of my very good friends is from Montreal and loves to talk about how great it is. It, it is great. But I, I would tell you, Winnipeg – and uh, I, I hope you will not be offended. It's not a, it's not a city about which I uh, spend that much time thinking. Well, it's neat. We're actually located at the forks of two rivers. Mm-hmm. So we were a big trading outpost historically. Um, so we're at, there is literally a place in Winnipeg called the forks, which is the meeting of the Red and Assiniboine rivers. And it's a huge kind of, um, cultural gathering point. There's lots of restaurants and shops and they've turned it into like an open air drinking space. You can go skating there in the winter. We do open a pretty large, um, on river skating rink. Um, it's pretty neat. Do you think a beaver pelt has ever made its way uh, through Winnipeg? Oh, I would absolutely say so. Have you ever seen a beaver pelt? Yes, you have. Okay. Well, then. Yeah, we have them in our um, in our museum. Uh, oh, oh, like a like the local the Manitoba Museum, perhaps. Yes, the Manitoba oh, Museum. Yeah, yeah. yeah, this is fantastic. I you you have so much to share. Ashley McClure. Well, I have a history degree, so I get a little excited about this oh, stuff. This is great. Now, for, all right. Uh, so you grew up there. You are you're you're a little Canadian person, a little yes. Winni- Winnipegger, and you're out walking around and everything. Now, eventually, baseball has to come into your life. Um, uh, it came in in two stages. Okay, yeah, let's do it. Uh, my original introduction to baseball was watching the 1992 World Series. Uh, um, yes, I was staying at a friend's house. 
and we were watching, I think it was the last game of the series, and of course all the adults are like, well, we don't care what the kids are doing, we've got to watch this game. I must have been nine years old. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're like, I guess this is what the adults are doing, let's watch this game, and I got totally wrapped up in the excitement of it. And and now, uh, does this involve the Blue Jays and Phillies? Yes. Yeah, Yeah. so of course, I mean, I think... It was you get a Canadian team going that far into the series, and you know the championship is on the line. It's exciting for everybody because we don't have at that time. We still had two. When did the Expos go? Uh, it was after the strike, so it would have been yeah. So it went after ninety four. So we still had two teams, but you know, having you have so few that you kind of nationally get excited when a, a team does that well. Um, so we got pretty wrapped up in it. And then the same thing the next year with the 93, I still remember the Joe Carter home run. Like it was super exciting and I got really amped about it, but I was also 10 and then 94 rolls around and you hit the strike and I had very limited patience for no baseball being on. Yeah. So I kind of, it kind of filtered away. Like I stopped having the excitement and I stopped being like, well, I'm a Blue Jays fan, and I, I didn't have that connection because, you know, you're 10 and 11, and there's more exciting things than waiting out a baseball strike. Uh, yes, and I should um, uh, I should correct my own self. Uh, that, that 92 World Series was actually Toronto-Atlanta, and then... Right, it was the, the 93. Was right, the that was Toronto-Philadelphia, and I apologize yeah. to anyone who was frustrated by my... Uh, by my incorrect. Well, there will always be somebody to point out how wrong yeah. we are. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so so your so the, the the sort of initial foray into baseball was uh, came courtesy Toronto Blue Jays and their uh, their back to back World Series team. The back to back years, like I think my aunt gave me one of the Jays win shirts when I was mm-hmm. at camp, and it was it was pretty exciting. Did you stuff. ever model your hairstyle after Kelly Gruber's? I can surely tell you, okay. I did not. Right. Thank Probably God. Smart. Probably smart. And then, uh, but you said you uh, lost patience for the strike. And so... um... Yeah, so I drifted for a while. And then it happened that um, I was seeing a guy who had grown up in Windsor, Ontario. And he he lived in Winnipeg at this time, obviously, but had his, his, you know, local affiliation to the the Tigers because of the proximity. Um, Mm. So I guess one night I was like, what are you doing tonight? And he's like, well, I'll be watching a Tigers game. That'll probably bore you to death. And I'm like, no, that sounds interesting. Let's watch that. And that was in 2011. And I have not looked back since. I say that it was the best thing to come out of that relationship. Yeah, okay. (laughs) I don't know. I'm kidding. He's and I are still very good friends, but it was a very good thing to have, have been reacquired. Like, I just got so upset. Now, you said 2011? 2011 was a great year to come back to the Tigers. Uh, right. Now, we could do we could do very briefly, we could do a nerdy thing here. Um, sure. And uh, we could just uh, revisit, uh, we could revisit not only the, the 2011 Detroit Tigers, but we could try and pinpoint the very game. Do you have a sense of, uh, do you have a sense of what game it was? Or what month it, for example, oh, what month um, it would have been? It would have been in July. Okay. And it would have been a Verlander start. Ah, that's very helpful. Yeah. <laughs> Well, because I remember one of my first one of my first Tigers memories was being told that that's Justin Verlander and he's the greatest pitcher in baseball. Now, do you feel like do you now? All right, so I, I'm looking now at the game log uh, for the Detroit Tigers. So it'd be either late July or early August. Okay, and do you have a sense? Do you have a feeling that Verlander won the game? Yeah, it was a Tigers win for sure. Okay, and uh, so there are a couple options uh, if we're in July and we're looking for a Verlander win. Uh, it's it's quite possible that they were at the Kansas City Royals. Um, that's one possibility. It's also possible uh, that they were at the Minnesota Twins, uh, facing Carl Pavano and company. An- mm. Another option is at the Chicago White Sox. Oh, I think it might have been the White Sox. Okay, that's and then uh, the very end of July they they hosted the Angels. There's another one, and then the early August they were at Kansas City again. Uh, feeling the White Sox. Now, this is obviously revisionist history, so I'm not 100 percent sure, but that feels. Oh yeah, right. we don't. Uh, yeah, I don't want you to. I don't want you to feel any pressure. Uh, we do find here uh, on uh, July 26th a game between the Detroit Tigers and the Chicago White Sox at U.S. Cellular Field. This was a night game. Do you think it was in the evening? Oh, it was definitely in the evening. Okay, all right. Uh, we have uh, leading off for your Detroit Tigers, Austin Jackson. 
Uh, Brendan Bush. Now we have the, now the the Tigers, as I say, they did win this game. They won five four. Uh, Justin Verlander pitched eight innings um, and threw 125 pitches, which is uh, was is something that's uh, even even more rare now, of course, than it was then. And yeah, it was of becoming, course, becoming rare then. Uh, he allowed four runs. He faced Jake Peavy. Oh my goodness, Peavy! Yeah. Remember? Yeah. I, oh yeah, I remember. Seen him, seen him around before. Um, yeah, uh, we were, well, maybe, well, it's hard to say if this is uh, in the game. Do you remember any? Yeah, it's, it's in that time range. It sounds familiar, yeah. though. Okay. Of course, I wouldn't have been as like I wouldn't have. I would have been just like, hey, that was a fun baseball game. Yeah. I don't think I would have. Adam Dunn hit a home run against Justin Verlander. Oh man, yeah. Miguel Cabrera uh, drove in a run, at least one run. To think of any home runs, Paul Canerco hit a home run for the White Sox. These are funny names. I remember Paulie. Yeah, these are funny names. That's great. Yeah, it sounds familiar. This could have been it. This could have been. It could have been, uh, been your. Uh, wait, how did the French say? It? They say rentrée. My reintroduction. Yeah, that's right. Uh, to uh, to to Detroit. So you became. So uh, despite the fact that uh, you're Canadian and had at one point uh, supported to the degree that. Uh, is in my youth I'd been a Jays fan, but I definitely glommed onto the Tigers in a very serious way. So now I see. So the the, the thing you're telling me now, um, uh, in particular, because Verlander started um, the, started this game that reintroduced you to the sport. This uh, adds some context to some state to some statements you've made recently by way of social media platform Twitter. <laughs> um, my bereft yeah, crying you really, tweets. Yeah, you've been. Um, uh, rending garments and gnashing teeth a little bit. Yeah, I think I think one of my favorites was where I said that the trade was uh, more painful than my last breakup. You did, yes. Legitimately sadder about the Verlander trade. Yeah, legitimately sadder yeah. about the breakup. That's, that's yeah, about that. this my last breakup, which is true. Watch the, watch the Verlander press conference, surreal, uh, uh, from earlier in the day. Oh, it really did happen and was not a terrible dream. Yeah, I'd been up late while that got finalized. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sorry, you got up late. This, that's a tweet from 6.21 in the morning. Yeah, that <laughs> was after sleeping because I'd been up for the trade because I had to post the trade info. Oh, wow. Yeah, so we, we got that out right, I think, within 10 minutes of it being officially announced. Hmm. And, and when you say got that out, that's for, for Bless You Boys. For Bless You Boys, yeah. Right, okay, so you, so, you re, so, you, and so you became... How long did it take... Well, first of all, were you living in Windsor, Ontario? You were living in... No, this was in Winnipeg. Okay, this is We Winnipeg. were watching on MLB TV. Right. And so did you essentially, did you become, were you like starting today, I'm a Tigers fan? Is that basically how it happened? Well, I got I got into it and we watched more games because I was obviously not repelled by watching them. Mm-hmm. So over that summer, I definitely, it was a matter of like getting to know, I like know them as characters almost, like the players. Mm-hmm. And I think when you see that many games with the same people, you get really attached to them. Mm-hmm. Like, and I've noticed that over years as the players change too, where you you find new players to like and new kind of antics to enjoy. Um, and so you continue to love the team, but you find new people on it. And I think I just got attached. I my first major um, fandom, I think that I like player that I really latched onto was actually Alex Avila. What, okay, so I just yeah, yeah, interesting given uh, yeah between two thousand eleven and two thousand twelve, those are huge years for him, where he played almost every game, and I think two thousand eleven was actually considered Avila's best season before this year. I think that was the year he won the Silver Slugger and was an All Star, and he just had a tremendous year. And it was amazing to see how this one guy could get beat up so much at the plate, like he got hit more than any catcher I've ever seen. Um, but he was still there game after game after game. I got really like intrigued by that. He was a very fascinating player for me. So I, my first Tigers jersey was an Alex Avila jersey. Yeah, and now interesting, uh, I could give you, I can add to your store of knowledge and information about, uh, Alex Avila is about five years ago now. I happened to be at the winter meetings, uh, for, for baseball. They were being held in Nashville. Um, at the Gaylord Resort complex that they have there, and I want to I want to uh, relay to you something, Ashley. Is that sure? I do not uh, I do not always feel comfortable in the context of the winter meetings. Have you ever been to a winter meetings? I haven't okay. yet. No. So it's the what it is mostly is it's awkward um, 
uh, 20-year-old boys walking around in ill-fitting suits and stacks of resumes. That's mostly what's going on. <laughs> and they're, But they're kind of hanging out in the periphery, you know? And then, yeah, just waiting for a chance. Yeah, so this is what I'm talking about is kind of like the 9 p.m., 10 p.m. scene at the hotel bar because a lot of people gather at that point. Now, in the bar itself, you have a bunch of different sorts of people. You have a bunch of uh, front office people, some more prominent, some less prominent. I saw at the same one, I saw, I guess, uh, Bruce Bochy and uh, – um, oh, this is embarrassing. The former coach for the Tigers, uh, the uh, – the one who smoked all the time. Oh, Jim Leland. Yeah, Jim Leland. I saw them uh, enjoying a conversation with each other, um, <clears throat> and uh, and then you yeah you just and you find like a lot of and then like in baseball there's just like a lot of like there's just like a lot of like healthy looking men. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, like, they're like 35 and they're wearing they're they're, they're all wearing like um like a performance performance. T-shirts with collars, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And they're all just like healthy looking. And um, uh, this is not what I look like. Um, uh, um, I look like I look like a, like a body double for Woody Allen, if that makes sense. If he ever no, I love if it. He ever needed, needed a body double for some reason? If he's a stunt like his stunt man. Um, yeah, and, if, needed, uh, if Woody Allen needed to be thrown across the room in a movie, right? Then, yeah. And, uh, so, so I was, uh, so I don't, I don't do what, like if I meet someone through someone else, right? Um, like, um, Kyla McDaniel, who now is, uh, who now works in the Braves front office, like he would occasionally introduce me to people and I always felt very comfortable in that case because I had someone who vouched for me, but I, yeah. it was never a situation where I'd be like, Hey, we're friends now, man, you're, you're a man. And, um, <laughs> but, uh, I happen to find myself at the bar and one thing I always feel comfortable with is drinking. I feel yeah, like this it's is, a great skill to what have. What a pastime it is! It's it's truly it's truly my favorite pastime, just ahead of baseball, uh, and then <laughs> baseball's right after. That's fine, but um, and then I happen to be standing next to Al Avila, and uh, and uh, we talked briefly, and uh, again I felt more com- I felt half uncomfortable because he was a baseball front office man, but I felt more comfortable because we were drinking, and um, yes. Uh, I did not, we're not able to say much to it, but actually we talked briefly about his uh, childhood in Cuba. Yeah. Oh. And also I said the words, good job making a son was a <laughs> thing, I, thing I was able to pass on to Alvia. He seemed touched is the thing that I would like. <laughs> Congrats on breathing. Yeah, that's right. And I feel, uh, I feel like not enough people are telling other people that, you know, good job uh, saying that. Um, <laughs> I like that, that a lot. Yeah. What, what else? What else would you say to Al Avila? Um, um, but yeah. So there you go. There's. You can add that to your store of information about. about no, I'm Al going to. Avila. That's yeah, tremendous. Of course, Al uh, has gone on to become uh, the team's general manager. So he is our GM now. Um, yeah. He, he he's sort of. It's a bit of a. Uh, I hope you pardon the expression. It's a bit of a sloppy second situation, though, isn't it? Yeah. Sure yeah. is. Dave Dombrowski was like, "We have so much money." And every prospect well, that we've yeah, ever the, had. The I've poor tra- Al has the bad luck of being the general manager in the passing of the torch from Mike Illich to Chris Illich, which the, the Illiches have very different ideas about spending money. Mm-hmm. And I can't blame Chris because Mike was very much, let's pay to bring a championship mm-hmm. home. And whatever it costs, let's get these amazing players. Let's get our Miguel Cabreras. Let's get our Prince Fielders. Let's do whatever it takes to win now. And Chris, I think, is like, no, the ATM is closed. So make do with what you have. And what Al's done is cut about a million, a hundred million from payroll. So. Yeah, I guess there was, there have been some questions that you, I think you addressed it during your, during your residency, the, um, the, uh, you were sort of out the rebuild, yeah, outlining some paths to a rebuild. You know, in in terms of like what sort of talent. I think that you entertained the fact like, should they get this sort of uh, high ceiling talent that's far from the majors? Should they get some players who are maybe you know something more like major league ready? And it seems they've kind of dabbled yeah. with both, right? Yeah. Um, because one of the players, let's see, did they did they get Dawel Lugo? Is that a player they acquired at some? Yeah, Dawel Lugo. Um, Jamer Candelario. And those guys are cl- um, a little bit closer, I believe. Um, so those guys are a little bit closer to the major leagues. 
Yeah, well, I mean, Candelario's been up. He's playing now because why not? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, he actually had a great day. He, I was doing the recap for today's game for Bless You Boys, and he actually had a three-hit game. So, I mean, there's there's definitely something there, and I I don't know about how he'll do, you know, defensively. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, but if I remember, he was a bit, wasn't he like a third baseman, like, in quotation? He was third baseman, mm-hmm. and with, with Nick Castellanos not going to be the third baseman for long, um, I can see that experiment taking place, but defensively, I don't think he's going to be a huge improvement. Right. Yeah, I think he's been regarded as a bit of a, of a tweener. At the, well, no, I shouldn't say tweener. A bit of a first baseman playing third base, if that's. Yeah. Um, and then, and I we still got another year to go there because we have to wait for for Victor Martinez's contract to end before you can put Miguel Cabrera in the permanent DH position. Yeah, the team had acquired. Um, a few immobile players at uh, one point, I suppose. They haven't, they haven't really shied away. I mean, whether, I mean, Nebraska is in charge. He never really shied away because, of course, he's also, um, Nebraska probably, uh, by way of Mike Illich in some, in some way, is the one who acquired Prince Fielder, um, yeah. which created, they had, they had multiple players to play designated hitter, but just like every other American League team, they only had one DH slot. Yes. Um, yeah, and so that's always a bit of a challenge. Uh, yeah, okay, so very very interesting. Wait, so where are we talking about? Alavilla? Oh, yeah, we were talking about the sort of relationships you formed uh, with this, like, first, with this 2011 team. Yeah, the, my, my, my initiation into the Detroit Tigers fandom, which is, is young compared to some others, but I, I think no less, no less devoted. You know how I always... Probably... Oh, go ahead, sorry, yeah. Probably slightly more so. Yeah, it's it's... Funny that how that happened. Like I remember, I was um, now I became emancipated from my Red Sox fandom when they won the World Series in twenty uh, two thousand four. Um, not on purpose, but but before that though, I always thought of them in sort of the same way that um, I, in kind of a way that I thought of it like a group of like Greek gods, kind of. Yeah. They all had their role, you know. There's there's like this guy who you know you have like Athena who's like the you know goddess of wisdom, right? Yeah. Or uh, you know whoever's the god the god of war. I always kind of think of it like that. They each kind of fulfill a certain task within this kind of. It's not theogony. What is this? It's a grouping of uh, one part of the pantheon. Pantheon is precisely the word. <laughs> Ashley McLennan. I do have a book series about gods living in the modern era, so you're welcome. Do you? What's which which series is this? Uh, Thunder Road is the first one in that series. I will read Thunder Road. I will read it. Go for it. All right. Um, right. Yeah. So they all have this, and, and now the Romans actually did this um, in in a much poorer way. I, I remember the Romans before, before they kind of because you know they eventually just stole the Greek gods. Um, uh, before I think Edith Hamilton talks about this in her. Um, what she, she has a book on the the Greek gods, Greek the Greek maybe, oh mythology. It's called mythology. mythology I think Greek mythology. And uh, she talks about the Romans were really bad gods. They were really bad at it. Um, but she was, they had, they were more like household gods or household stewards. And there was one that was God of babies, God of baby cereal. Oh like my God. God of baby's food. They were like, yeah, someone's going to watch it. Man, that God slept in the day they were handing out prizes. She was <laughs> like, well, well, what's left? Oh, you can be the Gerber God. Of baby food. Yeah. Yeah. Although yeah. I will say now as a, uh, as a terrified parent. Um, I would like to have a god looking over the uh, the cuisine of my child. Well, I'm sure there's plenty of baby related tasks we would like to hand over to a deity. Yes, like the whole thing, really. Yeah, I'm yeah. not much. I I mean, I guess I love my son, you know, but I'm not. I do not care for babies. Some people love babies. And uh, I'm I'm big into them when they belong to other people. I'm not a parent, so yeah. But my, I most of my friends are. So I love holding them for about 15 minutes, and then when they get real cranky or they throw up on me, I can give them back. Right. Okay, but here, now let me let me present the opposite, because I do not care for other people's babies. I do not want to hold their babies, because that baby's fluids yeah. uh, they, they disgust me in a way that the, the, my own child's fluids do not. Does that make sense, too? Yeah. Can, yeah, no, I, I get that. Seeing, I know a lot of people who are anti-baby. Are you, I'm just very anti-my own. Yeah, yeah, that's probably fair. Well, uh, by the way, yeah, you make a good point. They come with a lot of responsibility. Yeah. yeah. And, for example, if you just leave them at home and then you go out somewhere, you could be arrested. 
Well, I checked out when they told me I couldn't sleep in anymore if I had one. No, you really cannot sleep in. Um, so I'm like, no, I don't want to go nine months without drinking coffee, and I like sleeping in forever. Although apparently one day you did not sleep in was the day when when uh, Justin Verlander was traded. Well, that was just me going to bed, really. I, I have to work at 8 in the morning my time, which is, I guess, 9 your time. Are you time. allowed to reveal your job? Um, I, woo, you don't have to. I work in facility management for a very, very enormous tech company. Ooh. Is, that, is that? I don't know. That's exciting. It's not that. a secret. I work at Microsoft. Oh, okay. That's fair enough. Um, <laughs> uh, well, we won't besmirch, I guess, the good name. I mean, it's, I don't know. I have no opinions about Microsoft, to be honest. It's not a bad name. I like working there. Yeah. Uh, it's paying the bills, allowing you to write. Uh, yes, it, it does let me do a lot with my evenings, which is nice. I get to just work my nine to five and then leave it there, or eight to five, I guess. Okay, so so 2011. So, so now you, you at one point you broke up with this fellow, but you you retained apparently you you retained custody of. I kept the tigers, yeah. Tigers in the relationship, and uh, so what did it just escalate from there? Where did you feel like you wanted to? You were um, involved with the club to such a degree that you would want to um, document your relationship with the team um, or, or the goings-on about the team? It probably would have been around 2013, that mm-hmm. season, I think, because, oh, you know, for writing about it, at least, because 2012, um, I was, like, all in. I watched that whole season. I went to the World Series. <gasps> I, you did what? I went to Game what? 4. Yeah, I went to Game 4 of the World Series in Detroit. Um, that was an astronomically expensive trip. <laughs> like, I bought... I bought tickets off of a bootleg reseller because they sold out in seconds. I paid $800 for a left field seat. Oh, that is that is expensive. It was very expensive yeah, yeah. to watch them get swept by the uh, the Giants. Giants. It was a bit heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, uh, especially since I was sick the entire trip. So I was like sitting in like 30 degree Detroit nighttime mm-hmm. weather on Halloween weekend sniffling, sneezing, watching the Tigers lose. You must have had a lot of opinions (laughs) about the decisions you've made during that. Um, I have no regrets about doing Mm that. But at least I got to go see the World Series, right? You did. Yeah, you absolutely did. I cannot... uh, I can't... So I'll I'll take it. (laughs) It's not a great game, but uh, I don't regret it. Um, And I think after that point, I was pretty much just done, fully invested. I mean, if I can still love a team after watching them get swept in four games, um, I'm pretty sure I was in for the long haul. Uh, And now, uh, Um, I I think I started pretty mildly on it. Like, I think it was like one or two Bless You Boys fan posts way back mm -hmm. in the day, um, just having strong opinions about stuff. So I would write about things. I don't even remember what the first ones are about. Um, But I think starting... So starting in 2013, I started tweeting about it more and talking about it more. And then I'd say probably 2015, I started writing about it a lot more. And then just last fall, I decided to go all in on the writing aspect of it. Yeah. And so, well, of course, now because you are accustomed to, uh, I guess, um, um, to creating uh, ideas, to having Mm -hmm. to generate idea generation, then it, perhaps this comes more difficult to you, but of course, as you said, when you had strong opinions as just a uh, as an involved fan, but not a, uh, but not a writer, uh, at least at least a writer who's documenting the team to such a degree, it's very easy to write those one or two posts because you have this. this oh yeah, you have this uh, opinion that's going to change the world, simmering. Yeah. <laughs> but then when uh, when it comes time to uh, produce serious content, that becomes a bit more challenging. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's been a big, big change shifting from, you know, one fan post every six months to, you know, a post a day at at the Bless You Boys site and trying to get one out a week on my own site. And so what happened today in the game? So what happened today in today's game? For... Oh, the Tigers lost. Yeah. Five games they in a row. They lost to whom? They lost to whom? Okay. The Royals. And uh, what was your... Seven to six. There was a late ninth, the bottom of the ninth surge with a three-run home run from Nick Castellanos, but they couldn't quite get there. Right, and so now what was your, uh, what is your strategy for, for uh, recapping a game like that for Bless You Boys? It, it varies. Like, normally I try to do it pretty straightforward where you, you know, break down the game, give, we call them roars and hisses mm-hmm. at Bless You Boys. 
Um, so, you know, your highlights are your roars, your hisses are, are your down points. Um, today I just kind of wrote a genet, like a general, this is what happened post. Um, in the past, I've tried to have a little bit of fun with them, uh, which goes to varying degrees yeah, of success. Sure. Um, I did one post for a Mariners game that was a stream of conscience, uh, conscious uh, recap where I just wrote down everything I thought mm-hmm. during the game. Um, a lot of it was about how fun it is to say Mike Zunino's name. Sure. Why, why would it you? Is. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, uh, as early as... Tremendous yeah. last name. Um, I did one that was during the Bless You Boys meetup because either everybody was going to be there or in my case I had plans that day and couldn't write a recap right after the game. I did an advanced recap that was all Mad Libs themed because it was against the Dodgers and I just went in assuming they would probably lose that game. And the result was? Um, which they, okay. they did. Okay. <laughs> um, so it was just a Mad Libs recap to like insert player name here, insert amount of runs given up by pitcher schedule, here. When did you um, schedule that post for? Did you... We scheduled it for about 7 p.m. So it would kind of hit right after the mm-hmm. game should end. And it did. It was pretty well timed. Um, so yeah, that one had, that met with varying degrees of success. Some people were a bit annoyed. Yeah, you know, I'm surprised it. that someone would, yeah, uh, would lodge a complaint on the internet. It doesn't, it, we had there was there was some less than thrilled commenters, but I think most people got that it was intended yeah. to be a joke. Like we did lead in saying it's meetup day, we're just gonna have some fun and do something yeah. different. Yeah, why not? So, why why can't we have fun for once? That's what I figure. I mean, if you can't have fun when you're writing about a team for, well, I mean, we do it all year round. Like we're still we still do it in the off season, right? So we're doing it twelve months a year. You got to be able to, you know. Make it yes. funny sometimes. Now listen, I uh, I have no intention of keeping you. Now you're at a cabin somewhere. Am I allowed to say that? I am in, and it sounds so. If I say country house, it's really pretentious, oh, but, cabin, but it is a house. And cabin's it, great too. It is in the country, but it's I call it the cabin. And where, where uh, you don't have to tell me the exact time, but you're. It's in Sprague, Manitoba, so it's in the southeast corner. I'm about a one mile walk to the U.S. border. <gasps> Are you going to walk into the U.S.? No, but I do walk down to mile zero sometimes with my dog. Ooh, that sounds fun. And so wait, is this like a yeah. family place or is this just yours? You just, I'm a lady hanging out in my cabin? My mom and I own it. That is so great. That is so great. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's nice. It's on six acres, so it's a good good place to get away during the, the weekends. Yeah. So two hours outside Winnipeg. Yeah. That is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So, you're, so you're right across, what is it, North Dakota over there? Uh, Minnesota is right across the border. Wow. I think my Manitoba borders both. So depending on where you cross the border, you can either end up in North Dakota or Minnesota. In our case, we're about a 30-minute drive from Roseau. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, sure. It, it's, I joke sometimes that the Twins are my home team because they are the closest baseball team to get to. It's about a seven-hour drive south. And have you made the drive? Oh, yeah, I've been to, to Target Field a ton. It's probably one of the, the stadiums I've visited the most. I used to go every summer, but I haven't been this okay. year. Now, uh, this is all fantastic stuff. I, I, I would like to learn so much more about about Winnipeg, <laughs> et cetera. Um, but, again, I'm not going to bother you. But here's the one thing I need to know. Okay, sure. you're prolific with these novels. Yes. How do, how do you do it, I guess, is my, is my question. How do you um, – do, do, I have next to my desk, which yeah. I'm sitting at right now, I have a whiteboard um, that has my next two book projects lined out on it with notes um, and word goals and deadlines. And so I update that whiteboard with the words that I've met. I have to keep really strict daily word counts. Mm-hmm. Of course. Um, so depending, I usually can finish a book in two to three months. So it works out to about a thousand words a day, give or take, thousand to two thousand oh. a day. Wow. In, and on top of my, my writing and editing, because um, I'm a writer and editor at Bless You Boys. I'm an editor for the SB Nation Rays blog, D-Rays Bay. I help run the Facebook page for the Bleed Cubby Blue blog, and I will be starting to do a regular weekly column for them as well. Um, yeah, I do a lot. I don't sleep much. My coworkers at Bless You Boys think I'm a robot. You definitely have. I was thinking about this uh, the other day, and um, I'm gonna make a comparison here. Um, uh, my wife and I, since the birth of our child, <clears throat> uh, we've been we've been revisiting uh, Parks and Recreation. 
Oh, great show. Yeah, yeah it, was a very, it was a very interesting show. Um, um, and here's the thing. I, I was thinking about this the other day is that the characters in the show, and I think it's probably true of other sitcoms as well, they conduct themselves the, – well, the thing that makes them interesting as characters is that they conduct themselves like people who have more hours in their day than a normal human. Yes, the especially Leslie. Like, yeah, precisely. Leslie Nope will, you know, like uh, she'll come in one day and she's like she has one, you know, she has binders. That's like part of her character, right? Oh yeah, and or like giant like boards with outlines on them, right? Yeah. And she's performed like all of this research or um, you know some some sort of work d- diligence on a on a, a topic, and you say when when could she have possibly done that? Yeah. There's another episode where. Tom Haverford, the character played by Aziz Ansari, has created a cologne, right? A gross, yeah. a gross cologne. And, um, but but this is not something that people tend to typically do. But if you had, you know, say 48, 48 hours in a day as opposed to twenty four, then you could accomplish, oh, I wish. accomplish those sorts of things. But you're in a sense, maybe it's not forty eight, but you're you kind of like you got thirty hours in a day or something like that. I I once tried to break down how many hours a week I work. And it was, it was ridiculous. Like it was, it was pushing 70 or so or more. Yeah. So, so when you're talking about like, when you're talking about like pitch perfect, you're like, okay, they're going to, they're definitely going to get to second base at some point. Is that, is that like, is that when you're putting the the template? You have your your storyboard or something like that. No, I kind of, I'm, there's two philosophies of writing. You're either a plotter or a pantser. Mm-hmm. So you either have a really dedicated, um, outlined plot, or you just kind of know in general where your story is going and fly by the seat of your pants. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm definitely more of a pantser in okay. that sense. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I kind of just I know the beats of where a story is going to go, and I just kind of let the the novel take me in in the direction it wants to go. And how do you know when you're going to to get to uh, a denouement? How do you know when the denouement is supposed to occur? Oh, it kind of just happened naturally, right? Like, I mean, I can say that easily because I write them, but it's hard to explain. Like, as long as I know how a book ends, Mm -hmm. um, however I get there is probably the right way to do it. (laughs) But I do sometimes get stuck, right? Sometimes you're, you know where you're going to go and you backed yourself into a corner and I tend to have to take little walks and, you know, let my head breathe a little bit and then come back to it. Now let me ask you about these these boys of summer novels. Do you uh, what do you do? Are they are these major leaguers? Yeah, it's are, a fake San Francisco based MLB team. Oh, okay. And what's the what's the name of the team? The Felons. They're the oh, San Francisco of... Felons, and their mascot is a cat wearing like striped. Um, I love my mascot so much. He's like wearing like a striped jail getup, mm-hmm. and his name is Al Cat Traz. <sighs> I'm unnaturally pleased with myself for that. Yeah, that's pretty bad. Now, do you have other teams in the league? Um, I do. I use real teams for that just because they, since I don't address players for the most part, it's just like a they're facing off against other real teams. So you have a San Francisco team. Now, do... do I the Giants don't exist The Giants in don't universe. exist in this world. Yeah. Okay. Now, do the Giants minor league... Or do, do the minor leaguers exist? You know, I've never actually addressed uh, their... It's kind of goofy. Like... I use a lot of what I know from the Tigers. So even though they are a San Francisco-based team, their minor league is in Florida, which is terrible of me to do. Um, but it's what I did. That's not. It's not going to work out for them. So they're AAA teams in Florida, is what you're saying? Yes. Oh, okay. All right. So, I mean, when you have to call somebody up, it's a bit of a jaunt. Now, how, now what, why did it have to be in Florida? I don't know. <laughs> just how I felt like writing oh, okay. it at the All time. Right. It didn't right. have to be there. Yeah. I just knew more about Florida minor league stuff than I did about Arizona league at the time. Oh, yeah. So that's how it ended up. Okay. All right. Oh, this is very interesting. That's very interesting. So you just, you have a vague sense of what's going to, and you know how it's going to end is the point. Yeah. Do they I mean, get together in the, in the case end? of a romance novel, it just has to end with them being happy and together. Yeah. But what happens the day after that? <laughs> I don't have to write the day after, so yeah. <laughs> as long as it ends happily enough at that moment, I've done my job. Do they typically end in some sort of an embrace? Um, like you know, like like a big you know kiss before the curtain falls kind of thing, something like that. Yeah, or, or like a pan to the fire or something like that. Um, not necessarily. I think 
The first one, I think, ended with the couple watching the World Series together because the team wasn't in it. Spoiler alert. Oh, boy. Um, so it was kind of just like a, you know, a sweet moment together to show that they had ended up, you know, in a relationship. Mm-hmm. And they, all right, so they were together. Did they, did they stay together? Oh, yeah. By the, now, and I can't imagine most of the people listening are going to jump on these, but you get to the first couple's wedding in the third book. Oh, okay. No, it's but just it's, a side plot that mentions that happening. But so. you follow a different character, so that's pitch perfect. It's a different couple in each book. Okay. Yeah. So, oh yeah, all right. So, and so you're going to so then you cover yeah you cover a different uh, player like in Perfect Catch. Yes. So the first and the third books are about two different pitchers, and the second book is about a catcher. Oh, look what you, look at in in yeah in uh, Perfect Catch here. You say minor league umpire Alice Darling. Yeah, I did have a female minor league. I wanted my focus for those books is to have the the heroines be characters who weren't just like rabid baseball fangirls, mm-hmm. but to actually have jobs in the league um, to be like really into baseball on its own terms. Like I actually for the first book, I got to interview um, Sue Falzon, who at the time was the head athletic trainer for the Dodgers. Oh, cool! Very cool. Yeah, she was great. She actually like invited me to come out to a Dodgers game, so that was amazing. Yeah, I know. Uh, I saw, and I think it was uh, in part. I should give him credit, uh, Jeff Sullivan. But it was uh, there were a lot of other people involved uh, too. I know uh, Meg Rally um, uh, was um, promoting it and, and participated. Uh, the oh, you talking about the Mariners? Thing? Yeah, right. Precisely. Yeah, yeah. Precisely, yeah. yeah, that was amazing. I wish I'd been able to go. To yeah, that. and it looked really cool. And right, it was a. It was. I, I mean, it's. It's not, I, I suppose, uh, I mean, obviously full credit to them and other or people who helped organize it, uh, but it, it oughtn't be, I suppose, a, like a, like a real epiphany, uh, that, um, that women would want to be, uh, you know, discuss the game in somewhat serious terms. Um, and I say somewhat serious, uh, because it's baseball. So if you're being completely serious about it, then you're probably doing something wrong. Um, yeah, it was neat. I think it was a really cool shift. In that sense that it was like it was a women in baseball night that wasn't about like, you know, handing out feather boas or something mm-hmm. because baseball teams for a long time, I think, have had a lot of difficulty recognizing um, what interests women about baseball. And it's it, it's the sport. I mean, we're just as into it as anybody else is. So I think they did a really good job there focusing on on Meg. And then they brought in one of the Mariners scouts um, is, is a woman as well. I can't remember her name. I want to say it's Amanda, but I can't remember and I feel terrible. Sorry, um, you're absolved. It's fine. And it was just, it was a really cool event that like focused on, on those aspects, which I thought was a really refreshing take on it. Yeah, it should be. And a cool event, I think it, this is more universal, but like what's cool about events like that in general, um, and I can speak from, um, from, from having been, especially I remember my, the first couple of times when Fangraphs writers, when we sort of all met in the same place, you know, we, we yeah. kind of, we knew each other from corresponding on our like you know our in our uh, mess- internal message board or whatever but w- when we're actually all seated together the you're looking you're like oh yeah like here you are you're you're people you're real people with limbs and you're not just like a um you're not just like ephemeral creatures on a slack channel exactly and the the exchange of ideas is so much more rapid um when you're actually face to face with people so i can imagine if you have a situation like that where it is you know because a lot of us and we're sort of part of the virtual baseball community. Um, you may not. It, it's hard sometimes to get a sense that the other people in that community are real people. But when you're when you're able to all meet and you're like, oh yeah, we're we're all here and we have a common interest. We have you know varied interests, but we have this one common interest certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sort of thing is great. I think it's always great when people who uh, who are like you know like minded or have a common goal can get together. Uh, something very rewarding about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, uh, I'm not going to keep you any longer, in part because uh, our child needs to go. Uh, uh, we do an evening walk, and then we come back from the walk. <laughs> we, uh, uh, we, He's been very patient up until now. I'm really impressed. Yeah, my wife very kindly um, uh, gave him three Ambien. Uh, no, she, she that's not, that's not what I'm, that's not what I'm, <laughs> This is a new yeah, parenting technique. Yeah, yeah, You'll yeah, pioneer it. Well. No, uh, uh, we have... Uh, we, we have we have a thousand square feet, but uh, we have an upstairs, so uh, so that's nice. Yeah, it does. Yeah, so uh, yeah, he's been very good. Um, but listen, it's been a real pleasure talking about you, getting to know you, um, and uh, I look forward to corresponding with you in the future. 
Uh, and, Absolutely. Uh, and, Thank you so much. Yeah, and mostly I, I wish you luck. I didn't even get to ask you anything about being Canadian. That stuff is great. Do you do you get to talk to Justin Trudeau sometimes? Um, no, but he was he in Winnipeg recently because we had the the Canadian Summer mm-hmm. Games. Um, and so a friend of mine was actually at an event and got to meet him and shake his hand, and I thought that was kind of cool peripherally. I have I have very positive Justin Trudeau opinions. Oh yeah. Although I'll say he is not perfect, but no politician, no politician is. is. No politician is. Um, so he's, I think he's been been good in my, general. Uh, my wife uh, received as a gift from her younger brother. I, I think it was one of the great gifts. Uh, he re- she she received a Justin Trudeau scented candle. Oh my god! Does it smell like like you know fir trees and yeah. like some sort of musk? Yeah, so, yeah. That's what I can imagine. He probably smells like the wilderness. You think, you think he does? I don't know. He smells like Canada. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that must yeah. be like. And it smells like, like fir trees and like, fresh It smells rain. like apologies, too. Like apologies. Because it, it's, <laughs> Maybe maple syrup and pine trees. That's about all we can get out yeah. of it. Hey, but no, it's been a real pleasure, uh, uh, Ashley, speaking to you. Why don't you stick around for one second, but for the sake of the program, um, allow yeah. me to say thank you. Thank you. And I will say uh, that is uh, Ashley... Ashley McLennan, not nay Sierra Dean, but also a.k.a. Sierra Dean, uh, a contributor to Bless You Boys, editor for like three other uh, SB Nation sites, it seems like, and um, an author of beautifully trashy. Am I allowed to say that beautifully trashy? Wonderful, oh, you can call it wonderfully trashy. Wonderfully trashy novels, uh, um, um, which uh, which I'll uh, – I'm not going to say buy them necessarily, but look at – I've mentioned them, uh, and you can find them at SierraDean.com. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's a real pleasure. That is, so I will say, I'm, uh, that has been Ashton McLennan. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.